Thank you very much. You can sit down. Well, my name is Steve Mahorter. I'm uh, one of the pastors at North Creek Church. I'm the pastor of counseling specifically. Been there since uh, 1984. Yeah, some of you weren't born then. Wow. I've known Scott Anoni since he and I both had more hair and less gray. (laughs) Scott actually uh, played for me right up almost to the time that uh, I met uh, Albert here at at Redwood. Redwood. But it's nice to be with you all. I feel like I know several of you through our counseling training conferences that so many of you uh, go to. And it's been nice to uh, spend time with Rod and Aaliyah over the years through our ministry and um, retreat with them and just teach together, preach together. It's really been a, a great joy over the years to follow you all. I can tell you uh, Matt and Allie are settling into Houston, if that's possible. <laughs> they found it to be a very different world in, uh, in Houston, but they're settling in. Their ministry is already up and running, and things are, uh, things are really going uh, well for them in uh, that regard. So let's talk about complaining. Is it ever okay to complain? If I ask you that, what would you say? Is it ever okay to complain? <laughs> we want to say yes to that, right? But most of us probably say no to that, right? So I'm going to talk to you biblically today about whether it is okay and if it is okay. When is it okay to complain? What are the conditions and so on and so forth? Um, I, I like to t- preach when I preach on things that I think will be um, practical, something that comes right out of the test, text that might be there, maybe haven't noticed before. Um, but there it is, it's there in front of you, and, and just sort of help to round off some edges. I like to bring encouragement. I think the word ought to either convict us or encourage us based on where we're at in our life, and it does do that. I also like to ask questions of the scripture. When I study it, to me, um, that's how you learn is, is not just by the reading, but asking questions of the word as it's written in the actual text. So I'll walk you through a few of those things uh, on my own. So I like to do something that's practical. Um, there's a dilemma in the scriptures. In Philippians chapter 2, it says to do nothing with grumbling or complaining. Familiar with that, right? And 1 Corinthians 10 says that these stories, these stories were written for our instruction. And then when we look through the stories that are there, they go back to Numbers chapter 10 through 25. And it walks us through various sin issues that the people had struggled after they they left Egypt, and uh, some of those issues were complaining, and then it walks you through how God dealt with those issues, and God did not take kindly to complaining. Yet, if you read through the Psalms, a third of the Psalms, actually even more than a third of the Psalms, are flat out complaining by David. So how is it that it wasn't okay for God, for the Jews to do it in the desert, but it's okay for David to do it in various situations. And then trying to process, okay, there's a okay, they're not okay, and then okay, well then what about me? So as I get into this, let me, let me say, I, I don't know what it's like to uh, need a job, to um, have lost a job, to have been fired or laid off, those sort of things, and those are very troubling times for people. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to lose a child to death. I mean, almost everybody seems like has had had a miscarriage of some kind. Uh, we had one that was very early on, five weeks along. I mean, you, we barely knew that we were going to have a child, and the child was already gone. So some of you have probably had uh, lost a child 
uh, much later than that, and some of you probably lost a child even um, after they were born. I don't know what, uh, what that is like. Many of the hard things that uh, some of you have gone through, uh, I have not personally gone through. But I have gone through other things. So I didn't lose a child, but I did lose a sister. I was 30, she was 36. Came out completely out of the blue. Uh, she was a Christian, praise the Lord for that, but she wasn't always a Christian. But I led her to Christ and discipled her. And then the Lord, uh, the Lord took her home kind of out of nowhere. So I do know what that's like. I do know what emotional pain is like. I do know what spiritual pain is like. And physical pain, I have chronic neck and back issues. Anybody else relate to that? Yeah, we, we, do, you think, do you agree we sit down too much? We do, we sit behind a desk. I don't think, I don't think, I don't know. Well, God can tell us, but I just don't think we were meant to sit down as much as we sit down. And so we have these chronic, we have chronic neck problems. I wonder why. <laughs> our, our heads are there. Where's my phone, right? Put my phone up, my head's down on the phone. Head's on like the computer's down here, right? We're constantly, with so we constantly have these neck and back pains. So I, I can relate to you on a lot of things, uh, but certain things I realize that um, I will not be able to relate to you. So what I want to talk about today is, is when is it okay and when is it not okay? What is a proper biblical complaint? And all right, so there are four components. I, I, I hope there were notes in your bulletin. Were the notes in your bulletin? Fantastic. All right, there are four elements to a proper big biblical um, complaint. You have your Bibles. You read through Psalm 13 already, but you can go back there. We're going to be mostly in Psalm 13, but I'm going to throw up a whole bunch of scriptures on the screen as we go. Um, to help you help flush out what I think are four uh, elements of a proper biblical complaint that come right out of Psalm 13, as well as many other psalms. So um, you've already read it, so I won't read it uh, to you again, but let me tell you the first element of, of a proper biblical complaint is a, a passionate cry. A passionate cry. What does a passionate cry look like? And uh, what does it mean to cry out to the Lord? And who in the Bible cries out to the Lord? And where in the Bible do they cry out to the Lord? And how does a cry to the Lord differ from a simple prayer to the Lord? A lot of questions that I, that I want to answer in this one. This is a, it's, it, we have to get our arms around this first one, or the other ones won't, won't make any sense. It flows much better when we understand what it means to actually cry out to the Lord. So in the Hebrew uh, language, there are f- uh, five common Hebrew words used uh, to, exp- uh, to describe a cry out to the Lord. These won't be in your notes, and you won't need, need to write out Hebrew anyways. But I'll just give you the words and tell you what, what, how they are defined. Hama is the first one. That is a loud humming or a murmuring. But it's a loud humming or a murmuring, um, like a growl or a roar. Shava is a high-pitched shout for help. See if you can figure out what is, um, what is common in these five terms. Sa'ak is a shriek, as in uh, grief. Rina is ringing or shrill. And kara is to utter a loud sound, to utter a loud sound, to cry for help, to call on the name of the Lord, to call for help. Another word you'll see is translated call. So what they all have in common is these are all audible sounds. They are, they are all coming out of you. It's not about Crying out to the Lord is not about tears. You can have tears. You can also not have tears and still be crying out to the Lord. A cry is an audible sound, but it, it, it's more than a simple prayer, and it's not just uh, praying something or crying out to the Lord 
in your head. When you read through the text and you see these five terms, these, these, uh, these cries out, these are literally audible sounds coming out. So there are times that you kind of cry out in your mind, you think, you know, but that's not the cry out that's there in the Hebrew, that's there in the Psalms. It, when it's audible, it's a cry out to the Lord. All right, now I suspect a number of us have been to that place where we audibly, out loud, cried out to the Lord. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I think probably a lot of us have been to that place. I definitely have been to that place, but there's a lot of us probably that have not been to that place where maybe we, we were praying and kind of crying out to the Lord in our head, but in the text, that's not what is implied by the terms. A cry is a literal audible sound. Some examples of those uh, in, your, in the uh, Bible, the children of Israel in Exodus 3, 8 cried out for deliverance. And God responded, they said, uh, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. And then in chapter 14 of uh, of Exodus, verse 10, they cried out to the Lord again. It says, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then uh, Moses Exodus 8, 12, he cried out to the Lord on behalf of Pharaoh. And then the book of Judges. The book of Judges is filled commonly with the people crying out for deliverance. And then Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, 9 to 10, she certainly cried out to God, pleading with many tears, with a broken heart, pouring out her heart in the depth of her anguish over her inability to have a child and all that she went through. Samuel, after seeing that Saul as a choice for king was a mistake, it says in chapter 15, verse 11, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. And then Elijah with the widow at Zarephath says there that he called out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, see that as, when, he, when, I, when I read this, O Lord my God, see that beyond a prayer, beyond a prayer in the head, beyond an, uh, just a regular praying, see that as the cry that I'm talking about because the term is, that is called is one of those Hebrew terms. So when it says that he called out to the Lord, he means he's crying literally out to God. And he says, O Lord, my God, hast thou also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times, and he called to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let's let this child's life return to him. And of course, he did, and he uh, healed the boy. Jonah, in chapter 2, verse 2, while in the belly of a great fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, and he said, I called out of my distress in the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah cried out too, too many times to count in the book of Jeremiah. But this one is in chapter 20, verse 7 to 8. Oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I, I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me, for each time I speak, I cry aloud. There it is. Each time I speak, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction. He 
because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. And then you have the disciples in the New Testament crying out to God, and you have the demons in Matthew 8 and Luke 4 who cry out. You have the man who cried out with a boy with an unclean spirit. You have the two blind beggars in Matthew chapter 20. Blind Bart, as we call him, cried out all the more, it says. And then Jesus had mercy on him and healed him. That's an interesting chapter because, or a little verse right there, because it says that Bart called out to God, and then it says later that he cried out to God. That the call out is different than the cry out. A call out can just be a regular call. Hey, Joe, but a cry out is much more than a a minor little call. He screamed out for him, and the Lord blessed him and eventually resulted in his salvation. Of course, Paul, uh, Jesus on the cross, and then the king of criers himself is, of course, David. Listen to this one from Psalm 55, verse 17. He says, every, excuse me, evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. If if we had not read this and started thinking about this, we might be thinking, well, wait a minute, God hates complaining, so if you're complaining to the Lord, is God hearing your voice? Because isn't complaining sin? And most people think of complaining as sin. Well, how is it that he would sin in complaining, and yet God would hear his voice? It tells you right there that there are times where complaining is appropriate, but again, we just need to know what that appropriate thing looks like, all right? So now, where do you see this crying out to the Lord um, in actual Psalms? Because it's in a lot of the Psalms. So do you see, always see it in the beginning. In Psalm 13, it's there. Here the cry is is a bit on the subtle side, I would say. It says, uh, how long, O Lord, Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, that doesn't say it's a cry, but it's hard to imagine it's not a cry, given the situation that he was in. How long, O Lord? When are you going to show up? I've been with some guys like that before. A guy whose son... Uh, was severely disabled. He was uh, in ministry, and his wife left him with no cause whatsoever. So he not only had a child that was very difficult, had to be eventually permanently hospitalized, but also lost his wife, and then he lost his ministry. And he, he sat like that for a number of years and, and sat with me and said, I don't know how much more of this I can take. You know, I just feel like God, where, where are you? Here was a guy that was doing ministry, and a good ministry, a ministry that you and I would know. How, how, how is this happening to me? So I, I try to let, help myself, when I read something like this, get into that sort of mode, you know, how long, oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? Some of you might feel that way. Psalm 59, verses 1 and 2. Similar, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him, deliver me from my enemies, O my God. That's the first OMG. (laughs) Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Set me securely on high away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who do iniquity. 
and save me from men of bloodshed. Sometimes the cry is more subtle when you read the psalm. Uh, sometimes it is right at the beginning of the psalm. I'll give you several of these. Uh, psalm 17, verse 1, a prayer of David. Uh, Hear a just cause, O Lord, give heed to my what? You got to work with me now. Give heed to my cry. Okay, Psalm 57, 1, for the choir director, uh, set to Al-Tashef, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, the God who accomplishes all things for me. And again in Psalm 142, again, verse 1, the beginning of the psalm, this is a mascal of David when he was in the cave, a prayer. He says, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. So sometimes uh, when you're reading through the Psalms, these complaints are right there in the first verse. Sometimes they are not. Sometimes they are, um, sorry, I didn't put it in the, the notes up there. I'll do better going forward. Sometimes they are in the middle of the Psalm. Psalm 3, verse 4 says, I was crying to the Lord with my voice. And then sometimes it's both at the beginning and in the middle of a psalm. You see that in Psalm 17, 1, a prayer of David. Uh, Hear a just cause, O Lord, give heed to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. And then in verse 6 in the middle, I have called upon you. Again, that's, that wouldn't jump out at you, at you as an audible cry, right? The word called. But when you look back into the Hebrew, it's one of those five terms. So it actually is. I've called upon you. For you will answer me, O God, incline your ear to me, hear my speech. So in all these cases, the cry is, is, uh, is directed to God. It is not directed at another person. We're thinking about a proper biblical complaint. It's directed uh, at the Lord, um, and it is an audible sound, not just a uh, simple prayer. Let me give you an example of this. So a gal named Robin, who is our uh, women's ministries director, a number of years ago now, she's been gone for a number of years, a wonderful woman, I always have permission to tell this story. She counseled for me for a while and ran our women's ministries uh, program as well. She has an incredible story. Um, she was not a Christian at the time, married to a professional athlete. He was on the road traveling. She was at home by herself, had kids. Um, I don't think the kids were at the home. Well, I know they weren't at the home at the time, um, but they, she was home by herself. She was walking on her way to her house, and somebody, uh, some man jumped her and took her into uh, her house and he beat and raped her for two days. He was about to do it again, had a broken coffee cup in his hand and he was on top of her and he was getting ready to, and this is after two days of this stuff. And, and out of nowhere, audibly, she cried out, who, he, she said, God, who is going to take care of my daughter? This was a cry to a God she did not know. She was not a Christian at the time. She cried out to God, who is going to help my daughter? And the guy stopped and said, I'm sorry. He got up and he left. <laughs> is that not crazy? <laughs> An audible cry like that. And God answered that right there. Cries come out in crises most of the time, don't they? I mean, that's about as big a crisis as any of us is ever going to get to. But that's a really good example, and if we were to reread the Psalms 
and note the places where David is crying out. Um, if you could kind of put yourself in David's positions, his, his life was, he was just a life of crisis. And his psalms are often written in those crisis moments. So I want to communicate that a, a true, passionate cry comes from someone in their crisis who is, who is humble, someone who is acknowledging their weaknesses and their inabilities to solve the problem. They are begging for mercy, and they truly believe in God's ability to answer the prayer and his desire to answer a prayer. They're people who are fully ready to surrender. They are people who are ready to let go of whatever it is that God might want them to let go so that they can get relief. Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And Jeremiah 11, 11 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing disaster on them which they will not be able to escape. Though they will cry out to me, yet I will not listen to them. So the heart has to be in a place where we're willing to surrender. We're willing to do whatever God calls us to do. And so in Robin's moment, before, even before belief, she was ready to believe. And so she cried out to the Lord and he answered that. I've met a whole lot of men over my years of counseling. I've been counseling at North Creek now for 20 years. Met a whole lot of men who were struggling with being faithful, either via pornography or flat-out adultery and the, everything that could possibly go on in between. There's a lot of ways that men seem to be able to get themselves in trouble in this way. And a lot of them do not come forward, okay, a lot of them, but I've met a number of men who wanted to come forward but could not get themselves to do it, couldn't bring themselves to that place where they were willing to suffer whatever consequences they might suffer. All men hope it goes away on its own. All men hope no one ever finds out. No guy ever wants to tell his wife anything like that at all. And so they hope that it'll just go away and they could take it to their grave. Many of the men that get found out, get found out because they've prayed to God. I don't even want to say cry out to God, but praying to God, I need to get out of this and I can't get out. Please help me. And God's way of, of, of help was to the guy puts something on his phone and forgets to turn his phone off. He sends a text, and she picks up the phone out of in an accident, looks up, sees a text. He's looking on the computer, forgets to turn his computer off. Wife comes over in the morning just to get on the computer. Click, boom, there it is. It's a funny thing how many guys have finally come out with something when they've gone to the Lord, asked for help, could not do it on their own, but God did it for them. So I don't know what your situation is. I'm not, not trying to make everything into a, a sexual situation because most of the time the sin we struggle with is in our heads, right? Fear and worry and anger. And those are the most common things that, uh, that we all could share and know that, yeah, we struggle with these things. And so I, maybe it's time for you to cry out to the Lord on something like that. You, you can legitimately uh, do that. The second element, if you want to have a proper biblical complaint, and it takes two elements, you need a legitimate complaint. There are illegitimate things and legitimate things. Back to Psalm 13 in your Bibles. Again, verse 1 and 2, for the choir director of Psalm of David, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart all day long, 
How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord. Enlighten my eyes. Talking about his enemies and his depression that he was suffering. He was oppressed by ungodly and wicked people. And he's wondering, when are you going to help? He was on the run from his own son, Absalom, you might remember. Psalm 3 says it this way. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. As he was pursued by unjust men in uh, Psalm 59. He says, um, for behold, they have set an ambush for my life. Fierce men launch an attack against me. Not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. For no guilt of mine, they run and set themselves against me. Arouse yourself to help me and see. You, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be gracious to any who are treacherous in iniquity. They return at evening and they howl like a dog. And go around the city. Behold, they belch forth with their mouth. Speaking of the arrogance of the unbelieving, the ungodly, the wicked people. In Psalm 6 2, speaking of his own pain and consequences, some of us, if someone is complaining about the pain from their own consequences, we would think of that as whining, right? We would think, well, wait a minute. You committed the sin, right? You made your bed. Now you have to sleep in it. Well, David did sleep in it, (laughs) but he also prayed out to God in Psalm 6. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. I just want to say I am whining away. (laughs) I am pining away. Heal me, for my bones are dismayed. My soul is greatly dismayed. I am weary with my sighing. My eye has wasted away with grief over his sin. And there's the moral foolishness of the human race. Can we complain about that? I think we can. Psalm 14 speaks to the human race. This is back then, and how much more might we be able to say it now? Probably not at all. Man is man, has always been man. Man has always been corrupt. It looks more corrupt to us now, but if you climb into the history book and read the things that they, people would do then, it was just as corrupt. And in some cases, in some cities, in some centuries, the people were even more corrupt. Anyways, Psalm 14 describes them as, says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So what can we complain about? Well, from what you just read, I think you can complain about a lack of justice. You know, when someone gets, gets imprisoned for 10 to 15 years and then gets out in three, isn't there something wrong with that? You know, if you get, if you get put in prison for 15 and you get out in 10, they get five years of, of, of uh, good behavior. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I'm not a judge. So I, I, but if you get out in three when you were supposed to be in for 15, can you complain about that? It doesn't sound just. Have you been falsely accused? Is that just? Is that fair? Does anybody, ever, does anybody like to be falsely accused? I doubt it. So I think probably uh, a lack of justice. Uh, I think on our, on our own sin uh, and the suffering because of it, I would only say that because of David's example. 
Otherwise, I would have said, you sinned, no whining. You're the one that did it. That's what that would be where my heart would be, but that is not exactly where God's heart is. You know, we suffer for, because of other people's sin. We suffer because sin is just all around us, and sometimes we suffer due to our own. And we, we are free to take that to God and say, man, Lord, I am I'm suffering. Anger has just got the best of me, and it is killing me. Or whatever you want to plug into that blank. So I think our own sin. I think the moral decay of, of our society, based on what I've read, um, the fact that we have to even talk about a bathroom bill is annoying. Right? I cannot believe that people want to have boys be able to go into little girls' bathrooms. They are out of their minds. And even thinking about something like that. Gay marriage? You got to be kidding me. That is so out of the text. This is not in the mind of God. Anything like that. Abortion rights? Can you complain about that? Yes, you can. Somehow we've decided that it's, you, you, you can't kill someone when they come out, out into the world, but you can kill them right before. Uh, that does not make any sense to me at all. There is moral decay that is all around us, and since we live in San Francisco and you're even, the area, you're even closer to San Francisco than we are in Walnut Creek, so you, you get it. It's, it's pretty much right in our face. When I talk to uh, a lot of the other pastors around the country about what's happening in our area, just a nice little tidbit for you. Ten years ago, um, there were three churches that were doing biblical counseling and even interested in doing biblical counseling that I knew of. Three, okay? And then a couple of years went by, and I, I just thought, you know, somebody, there's got to be more guys. And Rod was one of the guys that I came across that I, I just thought there's got to be some, some others that really want to do biblical counseling in their church. And then I, I met three or four guys, and then a few guys came to me, and then we did a teeny little conference at our church on a Saturday, and 20 churches sent 100 people. That, that came out of nowhere. So now, in the greater Bay Area, I mean, you've got to go pretty north and pretty south and pretty east. In the greater Bay Area, there's over 110 churches doing biblical counseling in their church. There were three. When I tell people in the Midwest, which is supposed to be like the Bible Belt area of our country, right? When I tell them that there's 110 churches in just our area that are doing it, their jaws hit the floor. They think of, of the Bay Area as the gay area. <laughs> That's all they think of, where there's just this evil everywhere. But, and there is evil everywhere, all right? But there's also some great lights all around the Bay Area. There are some great things happening. Some great churches are, are popping up all around us. So I think there's good. I hope I'm here 20 years from now so we can look back and see other things that God has been doing in the area. God's doing some great things out in the valley. There's five churches out there that weren't doing anything in counseling, and they're all wanting to do biblical counseling. They're starting to get together and get to know each other, and they're just, it's happening all around us. I, for me, that just uh, really fires me up because there's so much moral decay in our society. People, uh, people need help. Now, here's another thing. Pr protection under persecution I think it's okay to go to the Lord, according to the pastors that I read, and say, Lord, we need some help here. We're in trouble. The length of a trial, even. Um, how long, O oh Lord, tells you? So a lot of you are in a trial. Well, when's this trial going to end? Right? I think you can go to the Lord. That Lord, is there a time when this is going to end? 
So can I say like Paul, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil thing I do not want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Can I go to the Lord with that? Well, Paul essentially is going to the Lord with that. Oh, wretched man that I am. Can you go to him? Yes, you can. Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the spirit is willing, and the flesh is weak. And the struggle that we have in this world with the spiritual forces that we can't see with Satan are alive and well. So those are some things we can complain about. How about some things we should not be complaining about? Uh, let's call them the small stuff. So this, this morning, the Lord played a nice little joke on me. I thought I might need my computer this morning, and so I was looking for my computer, and I found it, and my wife had been on it, um, but she was not plugged in. I had 8% of my battery left. I so wanted to complain, <laughs> and I'm getting ready to preach on complaining. I had to practice duct tape sanctification. <laughs> Put it on and just grumble in my heart. <laughs> Small stuff. Um, I can't believe my husband left his socks on the floor again. I can't believe there's no clean underwear again. Um, I can't believe the length of the lines at D the DMV. Now you're going to go to the DMV and you're going to think of me. <laughs> Bad traffic, weeds on the lawn, kids that are disobedient, complaining, not going to bed on time, not eating that last carrot that's on their plate. Come up with your own, but folks, don't sweat the small stuff. There's a lot of small stuff that we complain about, and when you're looking through the Psalms, David is not sweating small stuff. Complaining against the leaders is another one, and I, I, I mentioned this already, so I won't uh, go there again, but uh, it would be good for you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and in your margins in your Bible, you probably have cross-references, and those cross-references will take you back to Exodus and Numbers. It would be good for you to go back to Exodus and Numbers and read those stories, and you can see the kinds of things that were going on, because it was, it was big enough for God to, in one case, have killed 14,700 people not including the 250 who were the leaders of the band. He killed them all at once for complaining against leadership. So it would be good for us to identify with that, and we know that because that's what the text says. These were written for your instruction. So go to those texts, go back and look at those and remind yourself. So complaining against the leadership, there's a way to talk to leadership that's not complaining, that's not rebellious. It's a good-hearted good conversation. But to complain to other people not talk to the leaders, that would be not okay. So I would just, you know, caution in the wind. Leaders are not perfect, and I am certain, knowing Rod, that he would like to hear from you if you have something you have concerns about. But to complain is a whole lot different than can we talk about something, right? Complaining, uh, or excuse me, uh, complaints that are, that are uh, directed um, at each other if you turn in your, in your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it's a curious little part of the package that we, I know we know about deacons and all that, but this one maybe has been skipped over, or maybe you haven't really thought about this before. Now, at, that, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. Here it is. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews 
against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of the food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of spirit of wisdom, whom we put in charge of this task. And then out they went. And so what were they doing as they went out? Well, there was a lot of murmuring going on. And it was directed across at each other. It wasn't coming to the leadership, it was at each other. It got to the point where it finally came to the leadership. And then the leadership did deal with it, and they dealt with it by sending the deacons to go out. And so the deacons are going out and actually helping with the murmuring issue. The deacons were actually going out and counseling the people in the church that were struggling. And in the process of feeding the people, I mean, you wouldn't just have brought food. Hey, I hear you guys don't have any food. Here's your food, you know, knock, knock, here's food, bye, and then leave. It doesn't make sense humanly. You knock on the door. Hey, here you guys are, are in need of some food. We have some food. Hey, let's talk, you know. Spend some time with them, and they would help to counsel them, basically. Give them some encouragement. But at the, the beginning, it was not the, the complaints were coming to the, to the leadership. Hey, we need some help. We need some food. It was just complaining at each other. And then this is my personal favorite. Um, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to bring something alive that I, I'm, unless you've heard me say this before, um, this will not be familiar to you. Something that very few people ever talk about. It's something I just plain old discovered as I was, you know, studying, really digging in. It's a very well-known passage. <clears throat> we could read this a hundred times and not really think too much about it. Let me read Philippians 2, 12 through 14. So then, my beloved, just as, he, as you have always obeyed, that's the beginning part of this little section. Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is, God, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. You're like, well, how are those connected? Do all things, is that like a separate point? So, work out your salvation is different from doing it without grumbling and complaining. What are the grumbling and complaining about? So, so just a, I mean, you've probably been instructed in some Greek things, but when you, when you read Greek, uh, Greek, the word order matters in the Greek language. So, the very first word in a sentence cues you in on what the rest of the sentence is for. That's not the case in, uh, as much in the English language, but in the Greek, it, it really stands out for you. So when you look at this, the translation says to do all things. But in the Greek, the first thing there is all things. Do. If I just said do all things without grumbling and complaining, you just think, well, I'm never allowed to grumble and complain. But the emphasis is not on the complaining. It's on the all things. All things do without grumbling and complaining. What are the all things is what your mind, you should be going, what, are, what things is he talking about? He hasn't mentioned any things. So what's he talking about? So context, the, the immediate context is always the most important thing when you're interpreting scripture. The immediate context is in verse 12. So then, that sets it apart from the previous section. It's like a conclusion. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, okay, now all things do, all things 
regarding obedience do without complaining? So, it, so for example, guy says, I can't believe you're telling me I have to stay with this woman. It's usually the, usually the other way around. <laughs> She's saying, I can't believe I have to stay with a man like this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the kind of thing that Paul is saying, don't be complaining about the command to love your, your wife or respect your husband. Don't, don't, don't be complaining about trusting God. I can't believe I have to trust God in this one again. I can't believe he's doing this. Mm, we're out of line there. Let's not complain about matters of obedience. I heard some great parenting advice the other day. Thou shalt not kill. <laughs> you know, one of the, the things that we counsel most is, is Christian parents trying to parent their kids, having a hard time. And, and for some parents, probably a, a fair number of parents, they're, they're actually kind of looking forward to their kids going off to college because done, right? That's, not a, that's a heart that's not in the right place. Most of us can probably relate to having those kinds of feelings or thoughts, not exactly like that, but maybe exactly like that. But we can relate to those kind of things, I think, right? But we're off. Our hearts are messed up there. All things regarding obedience. Do not complain when God tells you what to do. So when you get in your car today and you're driving home and the speed limit is 25 as soon as you leave the parking lot here, right? That is a dumb speed limit, <laughs> right? Just try to go 25 in the neighborhoods. For, for us, we are, where I live, the streets are kind of wide. It's just asking you to go 35 and 40. Right? It just doesn't make any sense to go 25. These streets right here are pretty tight. 25 actually makes a lot of sense. But in my streets, it does not make any sense. And there's even bigger streets on the way to our streets that are you know, wider, and the speed limit's 35. That is painful to go so slow. <laughs> right? On the freeways, why, why is the speed limit 65? It's not in Europe. In Europe, they have three lanes. In Italy, three speed lanes. Yeah, the faster lanes are on the far left. And, and don't get caught in that faster lane and going slow. Because before you know it, someone will be on your bumper honking. You're, you could be going 10 kilometers over, and you're going to get honked at within seconds. I know, I've been there. And you could tell I wasn't going slow. <laughs> I like that fast lane. But I couldn't believe sometimes, I'd be driving along, look at my rear view mirror, no one's there, drive along, and in like three seconds, uh, uh, where did you come from, right? We love to go fast. But let's not complain about the small things. Let's not complain about matters of obedience. The simple things that God says to do, hmm, we need to do it. Now, how do you know? Oh, by the way, I, this is a great verse, I think, really challenging. Deuteronomy 30.11 says, For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. Right on the heels of Deuteronomy 28 and 29 with all the series of blessings and curses. And God says this commandment is not too difficult. And we are so prone to say this is too hard. God's saying, no, it's not. How do you know if a complaint is legit? Um, well, a legitimate complaint will never question God's justice. 
that will never, never question the sovereignty of God or the love of God. And legitimate complaining does not lead to more complaining. You complain to the Lord, you cry out to God, go for it, then you leave it there and you're done. And then you wait. I often finish my prayers in counseling after, after I'm closing in prayer when I'm about ready to send them off and then I say, and now we wait. Because that's what we're doing. And I'm not going to complain about it any, any, anymore. I'm going to wait and see what God brings. Another way you know if your complaint is legit is whether or not you're expecting to do what God has promised you to do versus what you want God to do. Okay? If you're going to him with something that you're with a complaint, is it something that you know is something that God wants to do because it's written in the word? Or is it because you want him to want to do that? A legit complaint is consistent with what God already wants to do. So for a complaint to be legit, there has to be a passionate cry, a legitimate complaint, and then a meaningful petition. So going back to Psalm 13, verse 3 and 4, it says, Consider and answer me, O Lord, enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. He's saying, give me some hope, is what he's saying. Psalm 3, 7 says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Psalm 17, 2 my judgment come forth from your presence. Let your eyes look with equity. In Psalm 17, 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. And Psalm 17, 13, arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword. He's asking for hope, justice, protection. Here is an imprecatory verse. Take him down. He's asking for retribution. In Psalm 57, verse 1, he asks for grace and comfort and security. He says there, uh, well, he's, he fled from Saul while he's in the cave, right? Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. Grace, comfort, security. In Psalm 59, 1, deliver me from my enemies. Punish all the nations. Have no mercy on villains and traitors. Deliverance, mercy for me, justice for you. <laughs> That's not normally the right place to be. <laughs> but this is where David was, and it was a right place, so there is a right time for that. Ask Pastor Rod to speak to you if he hasn't already spoken to you on imprecatory psalms. There are many of them, <laughs> and many imprecatory verses throughout. Psalm 142, 6 and 7, deliver me from my persecutors. Bring my soul out of prison. Here are some meaningful petitions, I think, from David in the Psalms. He's asking for help, understanding, justice, deliverance. He's asking for God to be glorified, for protection, for salvation, for God's grace, for God's mercy, for strength. He's asking God to consider his afflictions. He's simply asking God, listen to me, hear what I'm saying. Don't hide from me. Teach me for sure. Guide me and grant me spiritual victory. A true passionate cry and a legitimate complaint does not rule out God's sovereignty, His goodness, His faithfulness, or anything else we know about Him. In fact, a, a good legitimate complaint claims those things. 
we're wanting to see God's sovereignty worked out. David expected God to act on his own promises, not on David's promises, but he expected God to act on God's own promises. There's reasons why we don't cry out to him. I'll offer some out there for you. Some of us think that God does not want to be bothered with us. It's kind of the the, uh, parable of the unjust judge. Some of us have forgotten that he is our father in heaven. How many dads wouldn't want their child to come and ask for help? I'm sure that would happen sometimes, but for the most part, no dad would want their child to not come for help. Maybe it's just our own pride. You know, we think we can do it on our own. Uh, maybe we're, we've been so well taught to not complain that we never go to God on things like this. We, we just haven't been taught on the Psalms in this, in this particular part of the Psalms. Maybe we've camped out on the providence of God, not the sovereignty of God, but the providence of God. Maybe that's been a topic that's been so well taught that we forget that God still wants to hear from us. Maybe we don't realize our need. Here's a cool little story. There's a farmer in Michigan who had become uh, very prosperous, not a God-fearing guy. He rewarded himself with the most uh, efficient, high-powered tractor that he could buy. He was using it one day when on the conveyor belt, his sleeve got caught on the belt, and it began to, to, to uh, pull his arm into the large wheel, which would have just ripped his arm right off of his body. In seconds, that would have happened which also had happened providentially a week or two weeks before to another guy in their farming community. Got his sleeve trapped, pulled him up into the conveyor belt, off goes the arm. And in a second, as the guy realized, here, I'm, I'm, I'm a dead man, he cried out in a loud voice, oh God, save me. And the engine stopped. They looked over the engine afterwards They could find no reason why that engine stopped. It just stopped. It was at that time that he finally believed. He said said it this way. Um, He acknowledged that before this experience, he hadn't felt the need for God because things were going so well for him. Now he realized that every day was a gift from God. So sometimes we're hesitant to cry out to God for a lot of, of those reasons. And I would, I would say the Psalms are encouraging us to do the opposite, to cry out to God with a legitimate complaint, a, a meaningful petition, if you will, something that is meaningful, not trite and small. So those are a lot of the reasons. Let's uh, move to the last one and move towards a close. The fourth element that makes up a legitimate biblical complaint is a confident assertion. You'll see a change in uh, attitude from uh, the I will to he will, if you go back to Psalm 13, 5 and, 5 and 6, this may not have jumped out at you when you read the psalm, but it says, I, I, there I have, um, I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Remember the first, the psalm began with how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And then there's this shift, I will sing. How long? I don't know how long, but it will come about. I will eventually get past this and sing to him. Psalm 3.6 follows the same, a similar pattern. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me round about. And Psalm 17.15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. And Psalm 57, 
5 through 10, three times in the middle of that, four times in the middle of that, it says, I will. After the Selah, he says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Awake my glory. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you. Psalm 59, another psalm that follows the same pattern that we're talking about this morning, these four elements. It says there, but as for me, uh, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning. For you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. Now, I realize that, that many of us have probably never really cried out like this. And um, sometimes we've called out to God in prayer, but maybe not the same way. And some of you probably have cried out, and, you, and you're thinking, well, I, haven't, I didn't get that response that you're speaking of. And the story is a nice story, but I've not, that hasn't happened for me yet. Um, well, I would tell you that sometimes um, God wants you to wait. That doesn't mean your cry wasn't legit and that God isn't answering. He's just not answering now. He didn't answer David right away but he answered david in god's own perfect timing and that we have to embrace god just may get more glory from a wait answer than a yes answer and if we're really living for god's glory then that's really what we want and sometimes god says wait because he wants more fervency in your prayer charles spurgeon said it this way red hot prayer means praying perseveringly the one who prays gathers force as he proceeds and grows more fervent when God delays to answer. Charles Spurgeon. If you've been told to wait, you are not alone. Job cried out. David cried out. Habakkuk cried out. They didn't get a yes answer then, but they did get a yes answer eventually. Crying turns into praising. Psalm 13, 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 57:3. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Selah. God will send forth his loving kindness. In Psalm 59 verses 8 through 10 the last line there, my God in his loving kindness will meet me and will let me look triumphantly upon my foes. In Psalm 142:7 Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. All of the Psalms of Lament will point you towards something about God, towards his grace, towards his mercy, his faithfulness, his love, his sovereignty. All the Psalms of Lament, these whining, complaining Psalms, these Psalms that are, are, are giving expression to what is going on in the soul of a human being. That's what psalms do, right? They give vent to feelings, vent to emotions. But all those psalms of lament, the complaining ones, all of them are, are moving towards something about God that we can confidently assert. God is faithful. God is good. He is wise. He is loving. He is perfect. And many, many more. So when we're you know, crying out to God, these are four elements that I think need to be a, a part of that picture. We're, we don't have time to go, to go into this, but Psalm 31 is a, I wanna, I wanna just kinda point you towards Psalm 31, okay? 
spend some time looking at that for yourself. I've walked you through seven different Psalms this morning that are following this pattern. Psalm 31 follows it very nicely. In the first eight verses, you're going to find the cry and a confident assertion. In the next, in verses 9 to 13, you'll see the specific cry for help. In verses 14 to 18, you're going to see blessing and vindication on a meaningful petition. And then he'll finish in verses 19 to 14 with the confident assertion that we've been uh, talking about. Uh, I'm sure you've prayed before without seeing an answer. But have you cried out to him? Have you cried out to him? Remember, an audible cry out to God. Let yourself go on that. Drop your pride. If something is, something is that difficult in your life, how, why would God not want to hear from you? He's a loving God. He knows exactly what you're going through, wants you to express that. Take to him a meaningful complaint, right? And then confidently assert what you know to be about God, and then, and then you wait. And we wait patiently, knowing that God will be God. He knows what he's doing. And looking forward to what he's going to do, expectantly, expecting God to answer in some form or fashion. He will. You can even draw on some of the things that you have gone on, that you've already dealt with in your life that have been difficult for you. I'm sure those, there are those things. Has God never showed up for you ever before? If he hasn't, then you're a new believer, <laughs> okay? The rest of us would say, yeah. And sometimes we have to sort of remind ourselves of some things we've been through before that we can draw strength from what we learned about God then that will help for today. So I hope this was an interesting exercise for you. It was very interesting for me when, when I did it because I so wanted to say as a biblical counselor, complaining is wrong, right? But it isn't always wrong. There's a, there's a proper way to biblically complain. So let's consider that. And if it is proper, then take it to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord now. Father God, I trust that there are times when um, you're okay with us complaining to you. We're not complaining at you or about you. We're just complaining about some, some difficult things in our life and some things that are legit. God, if something we're coming to you with is not legit, then, then let us know that that's not a legit complaint. <laughs> But if it is legit, Lord, don't let us sit quietly by and and not go to you. Encourage our hearts to give full expression of of what it is that we're we're dealing with, the the injustice of what we're struggling with. Maybe even it is our own sin that we're struggling with. Lord, lead us to come to you and give, uh, give full vent to those things. Lord, we thank you that we can go to you. And when we go to you, we, we expect and can expect you to do great things because you're a great God. You're perfect in every way. Bring us to you, Lord, in these times that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.